If you're visiting us here at Elevation, uh, welcome. My name's Phil. I'm one of the pastors. This is Daniel. He's the discipleship pastor. And this is Jacob. He's not even been here two months. And he is our um, uh, uh, youth. Elevate, sorry. <laughs> had to think. He's our custodian. No, kidding. No, that's Bob. Bob, uh, how you doing, Bob? Um, he's our youth pastor. And uh, I wish they took pictures and videos, but they, uh, they had a messy game day. And they had, what, mustard, mayo, um, ketchup, relish, and eggs. flour. And flour and eggs. And they had a food fight. And so, parents, I apologize from the depths of my heart for the stench that they brought in uh, of their clothes. But, uh, man, they're having a good time, aren't they? So, we are closing out the You Asked For It series. Uh, if you have not been able to be with us during the series, I really encourage you to go online to our website or go to our phone app on Elevation Community Church and download those messages because we really, uh, we took the questions that you sent us. And so if you don't like the questions, um, you sent them, you asked for it. So, uh, and we're, what we're trying to do is we're trying to give you um, not just our opinion on the matter, not just the church doctrine on the matter, but really what God has to say about these questions. Because we live in a culture where we just listen to reason, we listen to justification, we listen to the contemporary modern voice of what politicians and policies and everything says, but we need to get back to what God says. Because his word, his truth, will never fail us, will never disappoint us, and will never come back to bite us or to uh, come back empty, per se. So we're going to do what we call a You Asked For It Blitz today. Since we're closing out the series, we're going to take all the different questions that you have sent in, and we're just going to answer them. Some is just going to be a one-sentence answer, hopefully, and be about a minute answer, and some are going to take a little longer. So go with us, please, if you, if you have your welcome card or have a, there's connect cards in the flap in front of you, go ahead and take some notes because we're going to throw out answers very quickly and we're going to give scriptures very quickly. Here's the thing. This is for you. The You Asked For It series is for you. We want you to understand that you have the answers. The answers not only lives within you through the Holy Spirit, but the answers are in God's word. And so we want you to go with us, journey with us, and dig down deep into the word. See if we're making it up. See if we're interpreting it wrong. And take ownership for your spiritual journey. So let's just start. So here's the first question. 1 Samuel 18.10 talks about Saul, King Saul before David. Uh, An evil or injurious spirit from God came forcefully... On Saul, can you give clarification on this concept? And I think what they're getting to is this evil spirit was sent from God. How can that be if evil is not of God? So who would like to take that one? Daniel. We'll just keep saying Daniel each question. Okay. So, uh, I've got the green. There we go. Um, one, these are all great questions, and we are going to do our best to answer it in the time that we have, which doesn't mean that we are going to answer them in their entirety, and we don't begin to know everything that we are going to say here. Some of it, we just have to trust that God is greater than we are. Uh, but when it comes to this, one, uh, I guess, concept that we wanted to talk about was um, what Saul did actually before the Scripture. So it says in uh, 1 Samuel 18, uh, 9, it says, 
that from this time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. So this was when everybody was singing David's praise, that David had killed his ten thousands and Saul had killed his thousands. And from that point on, he was jealous. He had a jealous eye. And I think what we need to also realize is that uh, the choices that we make when, when Saul chose to be jealous towards David was that opened up the opportunity for this spirit to come in and torment Saul. Uh, and so that's one thing to be cautious of when we struggle with either jealousy, envy, unforgiveness, uh, realizing that those choices are actually, you know, we're not in alignment with what God has for us, and that opens us up. That opens us up to things that we probably don't even realize or don't want. Uh, and so that's kind of part of the concept. Also, uh, I think that the other thing that it says in uh, James uh, 3, uh, 14 through 16, I don't know if we have the scripture or not, uh, but it says that if you, uh, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, in quotations, does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For when there is envy, uh, jealousy, and selfish ambition, you'll find disorder and evil of every practice. So the choices that, that Saul made and the choices that we make actually um, will, will cause disorder, will cause evil to enter into our situation. And another thing to know is that God is sovereign over everything. And so he has the ability to use anything for his purposes that are good. Um, and in many ways, uh, suffering, in case the suffering that we choose or the suffering that we welcome can actually then in turn bring us back to God. And unfortunately yeah. for Saul, that wasn't the case. And as, as of last week, when we were talking about uh, the ever popular subject of sexual sin, uh, we were talking through Romans 1. And it even says, because we stripped God off of his throne in worship and we placed it with other things, and then all of a sudden it affects the way we think and we believe no longer are we believing the way that God designed and the things of God. We're believing the uh, carnal or the sinful things. And uh, then it changes our desires. And so we desire not God anymore, but we desire the things of the flesh and the world. And then that leads us to our actions. And so it even says in Romans that God gave them to their futile ways, their foolish thinking. He gave them up to that. And I think this is a very, uh, very good example of that out of uh, 1 Samuel 18.10 as Saul stripped God from the throne in his heart. And no longer was he following the ways of, the God, uh, ways of God, nor was he leading his people, people, the Israelites, in the ways of God, but the ways of his fleshly heart. And so that's where God then allowed his open heart to receive uh, what he was opening himself to. Good? Yeah. All right. Next question. Boom. Uh, the Bible says in Hebrews 7, verse 7, that the person who gives the blessing is always greater than the one who receives it. If so, why do we sing or pray we bless the Lord? How is this possible unless blessing can also mean something else like love, honor, and praise? And we read through Hebrews 7, and um, it's confusing. <laughs> it's just, it's very confusing because it just brings up a lot of different things. And so we just kind of want to, just answer this question as clearly and distinctly as possible. Once again, Daniel. Yeah. Uh, once again, this is a great question, and uh, I think we have to also consider the origination of the blessing. Uh, so, 
when it says literally in the scripture, it says that uh, without question, the person who has the power to give a blessing is greater than the one who is blessed. And so the, the, are, we, are we greater than the Lord when we say bless the Lord? That's kind of the, the question there. Uh, and um, I think what it made me think of, honestly, is kind of like a parent-to-child relationship. So when a parent gives a small child or a child something and they in turn use it to bless somebody else or they in turn use it to even bless the parent back, you know, one, the kid is definitely receiving that blessing there. But the parent gets that ultimate joy knowing that what he had or he or she had given that child, they got to use it for something that was ultimately really good. And so it really blessed the the parent in the process. And I just think about God being the originator of every single good gift. Mm. And when he sees us use the gifts that we have, whether that's the voice that we have or the prayers that we have to bless others or to even bless him, it brings him so much joy. And so he has a greater joy. And sure, we get to participate in that joy, but he is definitely the one that is originating all of that. And it blesses and honors him when he when we sing his praises in that and not necessarily elevating us above God. I hope we're answering your questions. But again, uh, each one of these questions could really uh, be a sermon in and of itself. Um, in Matthew 20, uh, 8, 28, the next question, question number three, we read that two possessed uh, with devils met him, which is Jesus. Then in Mark 5, chap- chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, we read that there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Also in Luke 8, 26 through 27, we read there met uh, him a certain man which had devils. And uh, doesn't this cause confusion? That it makes the facts seem not factual. First it's two men, then it's a man and a spirit, and then it's a man and devils. Jacob? Yeah, so on the surface it really seems like this is a pretty big contradiction. And that it's three different um, gospel writers telling the same story, but the facts don't line up. And so you kind of look at it and you'd be like, something doesn't add up. Um, But really what we have to keep in mind are a couple of things and two main ones. First of all, these are eyewitness testimonies. And so when people tell a story, so let's say we're all even here or we're all at an FC Cincinnati game or Bengals game, whatever it is. When you come home and if everybody were to write their story of what happened that day, everybody's story would look a little bit different because everybody has a different perspective on it. But at the end of the day, the score should line up. All of the the big things, the big facts would line up. And so as these different um, authors are writing their stories of what happened in Jesus' works, they all have different perspectives. And so we like to read the Bible and assume that it's linear, it's exactly how it is, there's nothing more, nothing less, because that's how we like to think analytically. I really enjoy thinking that way and just taking it at surface value, but sometimes we have to look um, at what's going on. And so for Matthew, from his perspective, he may have been there for a full day, and he saw another man come with a demon um, who was possessed. And so he saw two Whereas with Luke, when he was talking to the eyewitnesses, maybe the eyewitness was only there for one of the accounts. And so that's where the numbers could be different. And as for the discrepancy between demons and unclean spirits and devils, there's also, you know, terminology differences. Just like um, 
Some of us may call them gym shoes, and some of them call us tennis shoes. They sound like different things, but we know now that they're the same thing. And so a lot of times in the Bible, because there are different people writing, they each have their different vocabulary, the different areas in which they grew up call things different things. And so unclean spirit um, is the same thing as a demon. It's just the different authors have different ways of writing that and saying that. Well, what? you have anything? Um, next question. Hope you're enjoying this. Hope you're not bored. Um, uh, but these are real questions. They, these are things that people at your work and neighborhood or even yourself don't understand. And so we started out this series with can God be trusted? Can the word of God be trusted? There, there should be an answer for all of this. Now, we may not be able to understand everything as we get further into these questions. Uh, we may not be able to understand everything, but that's where understanding that God is good and God is God. And we may not understand everything, but that's why faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Meaning sometimes we just have to trust that God is God and that he is good and that his word is perfect. So next question. In Genesis, it appears the word is at opposite with itself. So here's, here's another um, question on continuity and controversy or contradiction uh, in the Bible. In Genesis, it appears that the word is at opposite with itself. Uh, Genesis 1, 26 to 28, we see God created man in his image. Uh, then in Genesis 2, 21 through 25, God is creating a woman again. I've met people who believe there are actually two women made here. What say thee? <laughs> Was it two or one woman? I have a feeling that the person who wrote this question enjoys um, text like this, uh, yeah. uh, this verbiage. So, um, what say ye? Uh, right. <laughs> uh, I, I, I was going to do like an old English, and then I realized I was going to fail miserably when I said it, and so I shouldn't even want to bother trying. Uh, so, uh, I guess this is, like you said, this is a continuity question, similar to kind of your question in uh, different accounts, but... This was all, all the, the first five books of the, of the Old Testament were written by Moses. It's called the Torah or the Pentateuch. And, uh, and what, um, I guess what the author is doing here is actually very common in ancient uh, Semitic or Jewish literature is the first chapter actually starts out as a summary. So he summarizes all the events that are transpiring. And then he will go back and he will revisit uh, in instances or parts of great importance. So he would, uh, Moses here and the author and the Holy Spirit went through and gave a summary. And then the second chapter, they were going back and giving more detail, more, uh, I guess, kind of drawing special attention to different parts. And so it's not like we would literally linearly read a book and it's like this happened and then this happened. Wait, hold on a second. It feels like we're backtracking or something is happening with continuity here. It's actually more of a writing style that they had and that they wanted to do the summary first, get all of the information out, and then go back and go through some of the details of special importance. Awesome. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. Jacob. What you're saying, it's kind of like the, the original readers and even us today, if we only had Genesis 1 account of creation, you know, God created um, man, female, and male, he created them in his image, and it just goes on. We'd be like, but wait, like, that's huge. Why is there nothing more? And so Moses, as he's writing this, is like, okay, I gave you that fact, but 
but you need to know more about it because it's extremely important how he did it, why he did it. And so he zooms back in from that 30,000-foot view of everything going on and then zooms in and says, okay, this is just about mankind because God saw it so important. Awesome. Next question because we've got a lot of them, so we've got to go fast. Uh, all right. So is it different? Number five, is it different for everyone to be filled with the Spirit? What if I only received a spiritual language or phrase, not an entire language? Should I continue to ask and receive a prayer language? What I'm going to say about this is uh, we're going to answer this um, many questions later. Why I say that is we want to answer first another question that talks about the Trinity of God. And so before we can get to this, we really need to kind of dissect the roles of God. Uh, the three persons in one divinely God, okay? So we're going to go, we're not going to skip, uh, we're not going to ignore it because this is an important question. We could do a whole <laughs> six-week series over this question. Uh, number six, what if someone says they are a believer but won't be baptized? Is that a heart issue then? Hmm. Well, <laughs> let's answer it together. Let's look at 1 John. It's not going to be on the screen. Again, some of this we're doing as a discussion. We didn't plan each answer. And so we're kind of diving into the scriptures together. Um, let's look at 1 John chapter 2, starting with verse 5. It says this, But whoever keeps his word, meaning God's word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. So this is what it's saying. is if Christ is in you, we will keep his word. But if Christ is in you, we also need to know his word, don't we? That's where the Holy Spirit comes into play in guiding us and counseling us into the word and revealing Christ. So it's saying if Christ is in you, you will bear fruit that proves that Christ is in you. You, will, you shall know the tree by its fruit. So then it goes, verse 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. Do you know that Jesus being the Son of God, being God incarnate, was baptized? Was he baptized for himself? No. He was baptized to show what obedience is, to show what he longs and what the Father longs for us. And so if Christ truly abides in your life, and we see that evident through life change. I was just speaking to someone this morning about life change. You can explain the scriptures and say, well, God came and, and, and he died for me and, and he is real and everyone should know him and everyone should welcome him in. But if you don't have life change, you really just have words. And that's why the scriptures talk so often about the love of Christ to love others, to walk as Jesus walked. And so if you have a relationship with Jesus, you're going to want everything that he has for you, right? And do you know that the first step of obedience is to get baptized? Why? Is it shows everybody and it proves it's a declaration of what has happened inside of you. And so just like I'm married to Lauren, Daniel's married to Laney, Jacob's married to Jordan. We all have wedding rings on our fingers. 
Now, just because I have a wedding ring on my finger doesn't even make my marriage successful or strong or thriving. And just because someone's wearing a ring doesn't even make them married. It is a symbol of the covenant and the relationship that you have. If Lauren asks me to do something to show my love for her, do you think I'm not going to do it? If I really, really love her and want to serve her and cherish her, it's the same way with Jesus. He calls us to follow him. And I think also, and I need to end this so we can go on, but I think also is it's all about surrender. This walk with Jesus is about surrendering yourself. So what better way to start off your relationship with Christ by surrendering not to your own ways, not to your own desires, but doing what Jesus calls you to do. And so, yes, to answer the question, I do believe it's a heart issue. But Jesus still loves you, and he still wants to embrace you and move you from step to step. But if you don't obey him and want to obey him, you're showing that controversy in your heart of committing fully to him. Did that confuse you even more? Okay, question number seven. Wouldn't it have been so much easier if God had cast Satan to a different planet than we are on? Yes. Now, I know, though, free will, right? So, Jacob, answer that one. Go. Great. All right. So. <laughs> Show your liberty. Um, gra- yeah, yeah, yeah. Show liberty proud. Okay. So, this is a, I love this question. Um, because there's so many different ways and so many different things that we can talk about. Um, the first part is the person kind of answers the question. He says, I know, though, free will, right? And it, it's often a qu- uh, or an answer that we don't really feel comfortable with because it doesn't solve things. It doesn't make things seem better. It's like, well, Satan's still here. They're still evil, but I guess I have a choice now, right? And, and part of it is that God desires for us to be in a relationship with him and a relationship isn't a true loving relationship unless there's a choice that's why abusive relationships we look at them and we don't like them culture does not accept them because even though there's a relationship one end is forcing is constraining is hurting and so satan still being around um, and god just not absolutely subduing him right now allows for us to love God, choose him, and have that relationship with him. And the other thing, too, um, with this question is is it's not as though Satan is this physical being who is constrained to our planet. In the book of Job, we see how Satan was tormenting Job, but then in a chapter or two, he would be up in heaven with God talking to God. And so it's not as though Satan is a person like you and me who's constrained to the earth and he has to stay here. There's a spiritual realm And so it's not even that Satan is on a planet. God couldn't have cast him to a different planet, and he would be stuck there. Satan is a a spiritual being, and so in this realm, I don't even know what dimension it is. Probably not the fourth dimension, not the fifth. Who knows? You know, it could be the 30th dimension, but heaven and the spiritual realm are outside of us. And so Satan can manifest in things on this earth, but at the same time, he is also in the spiritual realm. Wow. Awesome. Should we pray, next question, number eight, should we pray against infirmities and sickness uh, of the flesh, similar to how we speak against evil spirits? Uh, The Bible is very clear uh, to rebuke and resist the devil. Um, 
in the name of Christ because he is the only one that has victory over the darkness. Um, so should we pray against infirmities and sickness similarly to how we speak against evil spirits? I think these questions are close to each other on purpose, which is nice because they do talk about a spiritual nature to things. Um, that uh, sickness and didn't even exist in our world at all until sin entered the world and sin caused a spiritual uh, chasm between us and God. And so because of that, we have all of these results of that. And so um, I think it's important to know that there is just a spiritual connotation or a spiritual consequence where something spiritual happens whenever something happens also here. The choices that we make, kind of the same thing that Saul did. Like Saul was making choices and he was being jealous towards David. And so because of that, he welcomed the opportunity for a spirit to torment him. And so with us in our only physical realm that we can really understand, but really we don't totally understand, I think it's hard for us to grasp like what this is all about. But uh, I think it's very clear in Scripture that the things that we do, the things that we experience have a spiritual nature to them because we are all in, we are all in part spirit. We are all as we're made in God's image, and so we have a spirit dwelling. We have a spirit dwelling inside of us, and so praying against sickness uh, is is similar just because we're doing almost spiritual warfare when it comes to that. And so um, I would say, kind of the easiest way I can say this is yes, yes, do that. Um, but you know, also know that. Uh, there's not, we're not going to totally understand all the natures of it, but we do know that there are consequences, especially the spiritual consequences right. to the world that we live in, meaning sickness by sickness by choice or sickness not by choice. But, but there's also just, you know, so we do battle in that same way. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, also, as we, we, we have several more questions. As we ask them, and they're on the screen, uh, go ahead in your own mind, write it, maybe even write it down. How would you answer this? Uh, because you may be asked this uh, somewhere down the road. Um, next question. What do you think, I really like this question because uh, this shows that they're really thinking deeply about this. Uh, what do you think happened? Did I skip one? No? What do you think happened when uh, Satan went to hell? J- excuse me. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm messing up. I'm sorry. <clears throat> Go back. Thank you, guys. Did Jesus have spirits taunt him? I was, I was I, sorry. Did Jesus have spirits taunt him while he was on the cross? If he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he is God's son and knew the plan from the beginning, why did he ask for it to be taken from him if there was any other way? Who would like to answer that? Sure. Uh, the the whole spirits thing we don't really know from scripture uh, about the account about uh, like evil spirits taunting Jesus. We know people taunted him. Um, I mean, we could draw a connection just like we said earlier about the connection between the spiritual realm and the physical realm, but we don't know. So the first one, no clue. Uh, the which is fine. I think we'll have a couple of those. Uh, the whole in, the next part is really talking about the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, when Jesus asked, uh, he prayed to God three times, asking him to take this cup. Uh, and a couple things, I think, is is one, I knew that Jesus knew in advance what was going to happen. Jesus being fully God, he knew what was before him. And uh, I think not only the physical pain, but also the fact that he was going to be separated from the Father uh, was just anguish to him. And so, uh, and I think also when we see uh, Jesus, I think all 
this is more spec, not, not speculation, but I guess it's kind of like when he prays to God three different times, you almost feel like God is starting to become silent to him, which is, is terrifying to Jesus. And so he's physically like manifesting like, oh my gosh, like, and he started sweating blood. Um, but I think it also signified the intensity of the sacrifice that was getting ready to take place. And if Jesus would have been like, oh, yeah, all right, it's time to go to the cross, you know, walk up to the cross, you know, if he was just very casual and flippant about it, I don't think it would have made an emphasis on how grave and how great a sacrifice it actually was for us and what he had to endure on our behalf. And so I think even in that moment, we see the intensity of Jesus' love for us, that even though he knew how terrible what was going to happen, was going that what was before him, he did it out of his, out of our, I guess, his great love for us. So, um, so yeah. So I think that's even why, he, even though him being fully God, he was fully man in that moment, and he was very much in torment about what was ahead of him. We can really see Jesus's humanity in that moment. Um, like you were saying, he wasn't just like, this is no big deal. Like, I'm not even worried about this. He understood not only the physical pain, but the spiritual pain that being God, he was going to have to be separated from God as he received the punishment for our sins. Um, but at the end of it, he said, you know, is there any other way? Is there any other way? But he said, not my will, not what I want, but your will, Father. And so at the end of it, he realized that his role in order to fully complete the love and the sacrifice that he had to go through with it. And he said, it's not what I want. I know that this is going to be terrible to be separated from you, to go through this physical pain. But he said, it's not about me. It's what you would have for me, God. And that was the worst. You know, we, we think of the cross, the torment of the cross. But really, I, I think if you, if you really walk in the Gospels here, the worst above worst that Jesus was going to face was separation from his father separation he was always one with his father never ever ever from the beginning of time uh was he separate from his father he didn't even know what that was like and so because he took on our sins god had to turn his face from our sins that's what he was dreading uh now question number 10 what do you think happened when jesus went to hell to gain victory over it uh who wants to grab this one i'll start it um (laughs) Feel free to jump in whenever. Um, So, again, another amazing question. And there's a lot of theological debate over it. A lot of different people have all these different views. Did Jesus even actually go to hell? Did he not? What did he do? And the Bible doesn't explicitly say what happened between when Jesus died on the cross and when he rose again. There are a lot of different implications. There are um, all these different references to it, but there isn't just this story of what right there aren't specifics so it's hard but what we do know is that through jesus's death he had to pay the penalty for our sin and my sin without jesus says that i would have to die and face eternal separation from god that would have to go to hell and so in some way jesus had to fulfill that punishment and so i would be inclined to say that jesus did go to hell through his death. What happened there, we don't know. I mean, it definitely is clear <laughs> that he, he, he conquered hell. Absolutely. He had victor- victory over hell. Because mm-hmm. with sin, sin has a hold of us and it, it separates us from God, eternal punishment. So he had to win victory. And uh, in Revelations one eighteen, it says that he has the keys. 
So whether or not he specifically went to hell, grabbed the keys, you know, um, we don't know the specifics necessarily. But, yeah. And I think one thing, we, we don't really know a lot of, we know descriptors about hell. I, I think there's an assumption that the center of our earth, just because it's hot, is hell. But we really don't know that. We really don't know anything about, like, where it is or what actually happened or how it all transpired. Right. We don't even know what happens to us. Like, like time-wise, after we die, what happens to our spirit. So there's a lot of unknowns that kind of go with that. We can only go off the little things that we can glean from Scripture about what happened, but we do confidently know that Jesus did conquer it, and we yeah. know that he has victory. And so I think for us, we know going forward, even though we don't know all of the details, we still at least have that assurance and that confidence in what Jesus did. Good. Eleven. We're blitzing here. Does God give us more than we can handle? Yes. 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 Absolutely. So often, you see on Facebook or phrases, and you probably have used this because I have too, it, it just goes to show that there, there's just confusion and uh, a little uh, wrong um, misapplication. Yeah, thank you. And misunderstanding of the Scripture. Because the Scripture that people are quoting that God will never give you more than you can handle is in 1 Corinthians 10.13. This is not talking about the trials of life. This is not talking about what we're going to bear in this fallen world. This is talking simply about temptation. Temptation of sin. This is where he says, uh, I believe the Scripture's there, 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So that we don't fall into sin and keep sinning, God always gives us a way out of sin. But he never did say that uh, life wouldn't be too hard for you to bear because the reality is, it is. It is, and that's why we need Jesus. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden and can't bear the load of life yourself. Stop it. (laughs) Take my yoke upon you and take my burden upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So with Jesus, everything is manageable. And he will give us more or allow more to come into our life than we can bear so that we would trust and depend on Christ alone. Amen? Uh, All right. Just real quick. Um, no. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, real quick. Uh, it's very true. It's one of the things that we will always experience hardships. That's very evident in Scripture. Uh, and I think that there is an inclination. The Holy Spirit, just like God, they're, they're gentlemen. They don't push themselves on us. So if the Holy Spirit and God has all of you, then you have the ability to overcome. Paul talks about contentment because of Christ strengthening yeah. him. And then he also talks about that he had so many awful things happening to him in First and Second Corinthians 1 that he was like, I couldn't, we couldn't bear it. We thought we were going to die, but we didn't die. Because we relied on God and he rescued us and he continues to rescue us. And so I think if we're overwhelmed with the things, one question we need to ask ourselves is how much are we with trusting God with the situation or giving God this situation? And are we trying to do it all on our own strength? Because if we, if we are doing it on our own strength, we're absolutely going to be overwhelmed and overcome and completely burdened. Yeah. Yeah. Scripture says, uh, I'm not sure the specific scripture, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the key. Uh, Twelve. We're almost done. We're almost done. How are we doing? Okay? 
Three of you. Right. How, how do I know God's will? How, let's just, can we be honest? How many of you have ever asked that? How do I know God's will? Yeah. Because if we're in relationship with God and we want to serve God, don't you think you want to know what God would have you? What does God will for me? Teenagers, when we go to college, we're always asking, what's God's will for my life? And so here's the key is let's go to Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. If you have your Bibles with you on, on phone or hard copy, uh, go ahead and turn to that. Romans 12, 1 through 2. This is Paul speaking. He says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. It's, it, the answer is hidden in this scripture, so see if you can find it. By the mercies of God to present or surrender your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So how do you know God's will for your life? Surrender over yourself to him. Abide in him. Abide with him. Spend time with him. Ask him to reveal his heart to you. And his heart is written all over scripture. His will is his scripture for our life. And that's why the psalmist says, you know, I thirst. I thirst for your presence. I long for your word. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And so we seek him in his presence, but we also seek him in his Holy Spirit and uh, what God is doing. And so we're probably going to teach on this later in the year, but here's just a couple steps if you want to know God's will for your life. Number one, spend time in prayer. Ask the Lord to speak to your heart. His Holy Spirit longs to speak to us. Then read in the word and ask God to confirm his word of what he said, what's being said to you. Is it confirmed in his scriptures? And thirdly, and, and not necessarily in chronological order, but thirdly, is what are people who are also followers of Christ, brothers and sisters around you, maybe your 222 group, maybe people from church that you hang out with, maybe people from another church that you hang out with. What is God saying to you? And let them confirm it. Let them say, you know what? Um, I, I don't think this is from God, and here's why. Let me show you in God's word. Uh, that's how we pursue God's will for our life. I think um, this is a question I've asked myself a lot, just still being young, just getting out of college and everything. I asked myself, what, what is God's will for my life? And when someone pointed me to this um, passage, 1 Thessalonians five sixteen through 22, it really changed how I thought about this. Um, and it says, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't stifle the spirit. Don't despise prophecies, but test all things. Hold on to what is good and stay away from every kind of evil. And so when I was making decisions and I said, okay, what is God's will for my life? I would look at this passage and say, will I be able to rejoice if I make this choice? Will I still be able to pray if I make this choice? You know, would I be stifling the spirit? Would I be pushing the Holy Spirit out of my life? Would I be able to hold on to what is good in this situation? And if I couldn't do that, then I knew that whatever that decision would be was not God's will for my life. Wow. Oh, one thought. I know we're, we're struggling with time, but um, 
I think when we get this also, we're asking like, you know, God, what's your will for my life? Should I take this job? You know, should I be in this relationship? Different things like that. And uh, there's things that the scriptures explicitly tell us is his will. And then there's things that we need to interpret using scriptures, using the Holy Spirit, using the counsel of people to know what's going on. But also, I want to think about God's will also. I used to think of it as just like a direct, a skinny path on a mountain that you had to stay on perfectly or you would just fall off and your whole life would be completely ruined and everything would go terrible. Um, if that's the case, I fell off a long, long time ago. But I think what God does is, he has one, he has the power to redeem our circumstances. And two, his will for us kind of falls under like he has almost like a highway that we just want us to get on, get moving when it comes to what God has for your life. Don't wait for the billboard, the God to write in the sky exactly who you're supposed to go see today and different things like that. A part of the relationship is just even just trusting God with that. And analogy I've heard is that a ship can't uh, a ship can't be steered unless it's moving. So if you're just sitting here waiting for God to actually do something, you're not going to move anywhere and God's not going to show you. But eventually when you start moving, God will begin to direct your path and be direct the way to go. That's good. Okay, we just have a few left. Are you hanging with us, guys? Is this, is this good? Okay, good. Can you make sense of how the Holy Trinity works? This is a big in. This is a big question. And this is not just big in, in the question of itself. This is big for the Christian to really understand this concept. And so can you make sense of uh, how the Holy Trinity works, Daniel? Yeah, sure. No, no problem. Uh, one, first off, this is something that we are not going to, to fully understand. I mean, this is all about God and his character and who he is. My finite mind cannot grasp him. And honestly, that's what makes him God and what make, makes me not God. Right. Uh, but what we can see in Scripture is that we see that the Trinity, three people, uh, all fully God, were there present for all time. We see it in Genesis chapter 1. It's amazing. The first thing that we read is when we say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, in the Hebrew, Elohim is God right there. Now, the fact that it ends in an I am means that it's plural. So this is, and and it should be translated normally, gods, in the beginning, gods. However, the next uh, uh, word is created, and that's a singular word, which means it, it, which just actually means bar, it's bara in Hebrew, but that's a singular word. And so it, it doesn't even make sense. Like it's, <laughs> it's incorrect grammatically. You can't have a plural subject and a single verb. It has to go together. And this is kind of one of the things that God is just, it's so cool how they did this. Yeah. That even in the beginning when they didn't even know the Holy Spirit and they didn't even know Jesus, that it was still all three that they created. And it says, let us make man, let us make man in our image. And so, uh, one, that's, that's a cool thing to know about, like, the, the actual part, like, the, the three parts of the Holy Spirit or the, of, the, of the Trinity. And then also you see it in Scripture again in multiple places. You see it at Jesus' baptism. You see the Father saying, this is my Son, the Holy Spirit, descending on something like a dove on yeah. Jesus, the Son here on earth. And so they're all working together uh, in unity, but they're three separate. They're three yeah. separate. You know, you don't have God on the throne and Jesus right next to him. It's the same person. He's not like, I'm God, I'm Jesus, I'm God, I'm Jesus, I'm God, I'm Jesus. They're, 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 they're separate people. And Did you Jesus, get that on video? Yeah, Good. please. It's like, uh, what is love? No. Um, and so, I'm totally digressing. <clears throat> this is what happens when you give me a microphone. No. Uh, and then also you have it in, in, in Colossians 1. You well, yeah. see Jesus. Uh, Verse the, 15. The yeah. supremacy of Jesus. 
I don't know. We may have the scripture. I can up. read it. Go for uh, it. First, uh, verse 15. He is the image, meaning Jesus, of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Does not mean that he was created. It's just saying he was before all creation. Um, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's Jesus. So in a practical nature, we have God the Father who uh, is on the throne in heaven. We have Jesus right next to him who is God who lived among us. He was God incarnate. We got to see God. He was the visible expression of the invisible God. He is seated seated right next to God on the throne. Interceding for us Interceding on our behalf. Stephen saw him doing that. Uh, and then you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what Jesus was saying. Hey, this is going to be so much better. I got to go because the Holy Spirit is God that lives within his people. And so you have three different people, three different parts, all working in unity with the same goal and same mind, but doing different things. Does that help? There's a lot of confusion on just how there can be three but one. And it's almost like someone gives us three triangles. And are like, okay, put this together to make a puzzle that makes a circle. And you sit there and you're like, what in the world? And this <laughs> is where the infiniteness of God, honestly, I don't think it can be grasped by our finite minds. That I don't, I don't understand fully how there can be three persons, but they're one God, they're one being, but they're, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Keep discussing. Keep engaging. Um, and, and again, I think we could go on and on with this, but time tells us to move on. Um, let's, let's just narrow it down to a, the, the last one. Yeah, let's, let's go to question number five. Question number five. And let's, uh, let's end with this one. Um, is it different for everyone to be filled with the Spirit? So we just talked about the role of the Holy Spirit. Not only does the Holy Spirit fill us, But even before that, we cannot come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ and nor can our dead man, our soul, be regenerated to new life without, number one, Jesus paying the ultimate price for our sin and rising again, conquering death, sin, hell, and the grave, okay? So they're all playing, the Trinity is all playing with it. God desires that all would not perish but come to a relationship with him. And we cannot come to the Father unless the Holy Spirit draws us to the Father. Are you confused yet? <laughs> and so the Holy Spirit draws us and it regenerates us. It, 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 it converts us. When you hear uh, saying, have you been converted? Have you been born again? That is the act of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working together to make us new and to redeem us and to save us. And so... Then, what is promised to us is that the Holy Spirit will be in Ephesians 1. It says it will be a guarantee. It will seal us for salvation in Christ, seated in Christ with heavenly places. That's another thing we can't fathom. But even here, those who have trusted Christ and have the Holy Spirit living within them, you're seated in heavenly places, and you have everything for life and godliness given to you by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit dwells within us, and the Holy Spirit also that we read, gives gifts to his children because he's a good daddy and he loves to give gifts. What are these gifts for? They're for your edification, yes, to build you up, to make you, more look like, uh, to make you look more like Christ. However, if it's just for you, it wouldn't be for anybody else. And so the gifts of the Spirit, it's not just for you, but it's for the edification 
and the unity of the body of Christ. And you see it in um, 1 Corinthians. You want to read that, Daniel? Go into my notes. You have a different translation. That's okay. It should be on here. Yeah. There we go. You want to read it? Okay. Uh, Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them in everyone. For each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For the one who is given uh, through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, but to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by by the one Spirit." Uh, to another the works of miracle, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues. Yeah. And so, again, this is really, really loaded, and it's very thick. And I know uh, the topic of tongues uh, freaks a lot of people out. But what we need to understand is the Holy Spirit gives gifts, good gifts, to his children. There is a uh, prayer language that is mentioned in 1 Corinthians fourteen one. Do we have that? Yes. Says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So we are, as followers of Christ in relationship with God, are to pursue more and more and more of what God has for us. Uh, And in order to do that, he needs more of us. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. Okay? It's a prayer language. And it's something that we are to seek. Does everyone have? Uh, a gift of tongues, Paul goes on and says, no, not everyone has the gift of prophecy. Not everyone has the gift of teaching or the gift of healing, but everyone should pursue the gifts. And so uh, do you guys have any others on, on specifically this question of if I just have a phrase that's between me and God, should I continue to ask for more or should I just pray to God uh, with what I have? What do you think, Jacob? I think one of the most important verses as we're talking about this is that very first verse up there that says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So I think to answer this question, yes, you should continue to pray and receive more of the spirit in your life. But if you're doing that apart from love, if you're doing that only for yourself and you're sacrificing loving others, then then that's not what should be happening in your life. Right in between um, 1 Corinthians 12... And 14, obviously, is 13. And it's all about love. And it's about using the spiritual gifts that Daniel read about for love, for edification of others, for putting others in front of yourself. So if you're trying to pursue these gifts at the expense of others to just build up your own spirituality um, or whatever it may be to esteem yourself more, then that's not how it should be happening. But if you just want more of the Spirit, you want the Spirit to come alive in you so that way others can be impacted and see more of God through you, then absolutely keep praying, Holy Spirit, give me more of you. But I think that we should just pray it like that. We shouldn't you know, just narrow it down and say, Holy Spirit, I only want this one gift from you. I don't want these other ones. I just want this one, and so please only give me this one. Um, you know, and so just pray for more of the Spirit, and the Spirit will always mm-hmm. answer that. In one way or another, the Holy Spirit wants to be involved in your life. And so if you pray that with an earnest and open heart, fueled by love, the Holy Spirit will be made manifest in your life. Yeah, seek him. Yeah, wow. Can you give it up for Daniel and Jacob who did all the talking? <laughs>